Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Today, I am joined by Sarah Peterson. She's the author of the new book, Momfluenced, Inside the Maddening, Picture-Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture. She's written for the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, The Cut, and so many other places. She's also written about the cult of the ideal mother for her newsletter, In Pursuit of Clean Countertops. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. And right before we jumped on, I was expressing my excitement and I'm trying to like calm myself down because I'm totally fangirling. I love talking about mommy culture, mommy influencer culture. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about momfluenced. Your work's incredible. I've been following you for quite a while. You've written for Harper's Bazaar, Washington Post, New York Times. You really have your finger on the pulse of modern motherhood. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you get your inspiration. Yeah. So I really didn't start writing in earnest professionally until after I had kids. Prior to having kids, I had started a career in academia and then ended up with a terminal master's in literature and didn't go on to get my PhD. So I was sort of at a crossroads once I had my first kid. And the experience of motherhood was just a real shock to me in almost every possible way. I'd grown up always wanting to be a mother without really interrogating what the actual labor of mothering entailed. I just knew I wanted to be a mom, you know, all caps. And I had pretty bad postpartum depression with my first kid. And it really just took several years for me to sort of come to terms with, you know, my burgeoning feminist rage that I was feeling about the institution of motherhood. I just found myself feeling as though I was trying to squeeze my round peg self into a square hole and it just wasn't working. And so, yeah, I just started trying to figure out what I was feeling through writing. And that's how I sort of got into writing about motherhood and feminism. And I'm so glad you did. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, because you shine a light on so many things that I think now as a culture, we sort of just take for granted. Yeah. And I think it's important that someone needs to shine a light on it. And so here we are talking about it today. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about influencer culture and how that impacts modern women, both psychologically as consumers, as performers of their own stories, and as mothers themselves. So let's just dive in, right? (laughs) Can you elaborate on how this cultural phenomenon drives and shapes our own motherhood experience? Oh my gosh. That's, I mean, in so, so many ways. Part of why I started working on my book project was to answer that question, just because I saw momfluencer culture intersecting with so many themes that are relevant to mothers and caregivers. I mean, I think... If, you know, we grew up socialized as female, we were trained to sort of view motherhood and wifehood and, 
you know, the nuclear family, heteronormativity, all of those things as sort of like the apex of feminine achievement. And I think momfluencer culture has really turned that volume up by at least certain sectors, momfluencer culture has really prioritized a hyper-feminine, hyper-domestic version of ideal motherhood. And I just think it bleeds into so many things. It bleeds into our expectations of what motherhood is going to be like. It informs our consumer choices. It you know impacts us psychologically. And I think there's a real disconnect sometimes between the performance of that idealized feminine motherhood and what most mothers are experiencing day to day. I know there was a huge disconnect for me when I first started working on this. And so, yeah, that's really what inspired me to write the book was to sort of parse out like, what is this making me feel and why is this impacting others the same way? And, you know, what can we better understand about this culture and ourselves in the process? Yeah. So I've been doing this Instagram thing now for, oh my gosh, six, seven years, seven years. Oh my God. Why? Where does the time go? So I've really seen such a shift in Instagram, right? And I've always primarily been on Instagram. That's sort of where I've always like fallen. And I've met some of my best friends in the world through Instagram. So I won't take that away from it. I can't take that away from it. But I know that it has shaped my own motherhood in a certain way. I'll give you a quick example. Years ago, and this was literally six years ago, when I first got on Instagram, I had a wonderful group of friends and we were very tight. They lived in all different parts of the country. They're all different content creators. And at the time, Instagram was very mommy wine culture heavy. Mm, Yep. Yeah. And I'm not a big drinker. I've never been a big drinker. I could drink socially when we go out, but like I don't drink at home. It's just not a thing I did. But then when I started getting online, I saw my friends were talking about it. And that was sort of like the zeitgeist at the time. I was like, oh, is that like what people do? Oh, oh, oh maybe that's what I should be doing. Mm. And so then I did start to drink on play dates. Well, actually with like one or two friends. It was like this one girl in particular. And really, I should probably mention that her husband was an alcoholic. And so maybe that was more normalized in her family. So it's not a great example. But for me, I was like, oh, this wasn't something that I was doing. And now that I'm on Instagram, it is something wow. that I'm doing. Yeah. And it really was directly related to that because I was like, oh, I thought that's what domestic moms do. I'll give you an example. I At that time, we moved from living in New York City to the suburbs. And I thought, because that's what I saw on Instagram, that's what suburban moms do. And so then I sort of like picked up with that. And that's what my online Instagram friends were doing. And so fast forward... I realized, well, that's not really who I am and that's not what I do. And so I've dropped that. I mean, I dropped that literally six years ago. It was probably a a two-month stretch of of doing that. And when I look back, I realize like I really was subconsciously pressured or influenced by the content that I saw and the narrative that was going on on Instagram at the time. Yeah. Oh, totally. And and it's wild to think that in about that in hindsight, because you're like, well, I'm a at the time I was like, I'm a 35 year old woman. Like I could make my own decisions for myself. I'm not gonna do this. But I I didn't know. I thought maybe that's just what it was like when you move from the city to the suburbs and that's what people are doing and that's what my friends were talking about and joking about and stuff like that. And now 
you know, I've been a mom for 10 years and like, that's not necessarily the case. It's not what I do. It's not what we do on play dates. And, and it's fine if like, that's what other people are doing. Right. I mean, I'm not going to criticize that, but it's just, you know, at large, that was just not who I was. And that's what I was inspired or influenced to do. Yeah, no. And, you know, your point about you took a step back and you were like, wait, is this something I, you know, am naturally inclined to do or is it not? I feel like that's such a great like moment for all of us to sort of take in our own lives to be like, okay, am I taking my kid to the strawberry patch to pick strawberries and dealing with like, you know, them screaming over the sunscreen and spilled baskets of strawberries just for the photo. And am I doing that because I think it's fun or my kids think it's fun? Or am I doing that because, you know, I saw a million influencers post beautiful photos from the strawberry patch, right? Like, and because we're consuming it, at least many of us are consuming it so often, like we're scrolling when we're making the kids dinner, we're scrolling in the bathroom. Like, even if we're not consciously saying to ourselves, okay, I think I need to be a good mom by taking my kids to the strawberry patch. It, I think it gets into us subconsciously in ways that are sort of hard to even understand ourselves. Yeah, it really soaks in because, you know, I'm going to use fall as an example. Oh, yeah. We've always, I mean, we live in the Northeast. Like, we've always had fall. Yeah. I've had fall for the last 40 years of my life. <laughs> and only until maybe the last 10 years did fall become a thing. Yeah. And I'm using that in quotes. And I remember thinking, like, why is fall a thing? We've always had fall. It's not new. It's not that someone all of a sudden was like, oh, now we have to, like, dress cute and take pictures and, like, falling leaves. Like, that shit was always around. Yep. And it really, once... Instagram and and Pinterest and stuff like that really took hold. Did we then have to celebrate fall and embrace fall for what it is? And I've always thought them like, why did we make that a thing? It's always been there. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think it ties into capitalism as well because I feel like fall has been so commodified. Like we're pressured to buy new fall sweaters, new fall like floppy hats, <laughs> like buy the kids fall matching outfits. And there's there's always to so many of these trends that you know presumably start online, there is a shoppable component to all of them, and I think that's really interesting to track as well. Yeah, that's a good component. I don't think most people probably make the connection between the two. Right. But it's always like, shop now, try this affiliate link. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right? I mean, that that really is a big part of it. And then even, I mean, there's so many different topics we could could talk right now. My mind is like spinning with like the the subtopics that we could talk about. But like home decor, Mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about home decor. How does everyone have a white kitchen? When we recently renovated our kitchen, well, this is like six years ago now, we went out of our way to not have a white kitchen. We were we put our foot in the sand and we were like, we're not having a white kitchen because yep. everyone else does, because that's all I see on Pinterest and it's all I see on Instagram. And and so having said that, like do you find it dangerous, a little dangerous, that we are not only being performative in whether it's the way we decorate our houses, whether it's the way that we parent our children or throw birthday parties, do you find it a little bit dangerous that this narrative is sort of insidiously weaving its way through our lives? I think it's it's a hard question to answer like broadly. I think because I think there are a ton of things happening on Instagram and social media by mother creators that are really positive. 
There's tons of mothers raising awareness about really important social issues. There's mothers raising awareness about parenting neurodiverse children. There's tons of queer content creators that are doing a lot of good, lots of anti-racist content creators. So I I would never say across the board, like it's all bad because that's just not true. Not true. But I think what I would say is insidious and something to watch out for is the idealization of a very certain type of mother. And that type of mother is typically white. She's typically thin. She's typically non-disabled, typically wealthy. She's typically married. And when that very narrowly defined mother is upholded as the best type of mom to be, even if it's just through imagery, even if it's just through like beautiful photos with her beautiful children in her beautiful home, that feeds into, I think, a really harmful stereotype that nobody can really meet. I mean, you know, Certainly not women of color, certainly not queer moms, certainly not trans moms, but most moms can never be a perfect, quote unquote, perfect mom. There is no such thing. And I think the more we lean on this, like, mom can do it all. Moms should be, you know, celebrated on Mother's Day. Moms are the real heroes of our world. Moms have the hardest job in the world. We're really erasing the experience of mothers. And I don't think idolatry or putting mothers up on a pedestal is helping us get paid leave, is helping us get access to affordable quality childcare, get access to maternal health health care. I don't think that's helping anyone. I think it's a net negative. So I guess that's where I would see the most harmful side of momfluencer culture creeping into our everyday lives and our everyday assumptions about mothers. Yeah. Do you think it's like distracting away from the real topics? I kind of do. Yeah. Because it's keeping us rooted in this fantasy of the mother that can do it all effortlessly simply because she is a woman and she's a mother. And that's just not true. And it never has been. Yeah. And then speaking of capitalism too, it's like, you know who brands go after? It's the girl you just described. Totally. It's the beautiful, white-kitchened, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, seven-kid family, yep. and they get the the money, whereas many of the, let's say, people who are speaking the truth or who don't fit the other mold aesthetically don't get the advertising dollars. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's really disheartening to see that it's still the vast majority of the highest earners in, you know, influencer culture are still really predominantly white. And so, yeah, that's been a bummer to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Do you think that motherhood has always been shaped by things outside of our control? I think certainly, I would say yes to a large extent and certainly post the industrial revolution when sort of the separate spheres were created prior to the industrial revolution, you know, women and men were both working inside the home and both working outside the home. And, you know, the whole cult of domesticity, the angel in the house, quote unquote, that really was not a thing until post industrial revolution. And it was completely culturally created. You know, it's not like (laughs) women were meant to be angels of the house. Like that was a cultural construct created by white rich men. 
And sure, it protected some white women, but the idealization of that type of feminine motherhood also, you know, was explicitly done to marginalize other women. So, you know, the women from lower socioeconomic brackets cleaning the rich angel of the house's kitchen, certainly women of color working in the factories with limited protection. So, yeah, I do think for the past several hundred years that these ideals have been created by people in power. And those people in power are typically white, rich men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you read Jessica Gross's book, yes. Screaming on the Inside? Yep. Oh, it was so good. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of like the first like few chapters of her book because she explains that and, and goes into a little bit of a detail. So I'm just going to totally pump her book for a second too. It's like, if you haven't read Jess Gross's Screaming on the Inside, you have to check it out. I had interviewed her several weeks back about the book, and she is just brilliant. So she is awesome. So everyone go check out that book. Uh, She is, isn't she? God, I I just, I love her writing. Speaking of like other people, I fangirl. (laughs) I I just, I fangirl authors and and writers so much. Same, same. (laughs) I love my job. I really do. Because I get to talk to amazing people like you, Sarah. Uh Okay, so let's bring it back to mommy culture. What do you think that mommy influencer culture, what's the impact at large for society? I mean, a lot is said about how it's a positive that women that, you know, are not able to find flexible, you know, workable jobs in corporate America are able to, you know, essentially start their own businesses by becoming mom influencers, I think that's great. But I think their work tends to be most monetarily successful when it's leaning into hyper feminine ideals of motherhood. And I think that's kind of not great. You know, they're not getting paid for the labor of caregiving or the labor of mothering. They're getting paid for the performance of it. So I think that's where it gets a little sticky. And ultimately, I wish all moms, regardless of their aspirations, could find fulfilling careers that don't rely on a really narrow definition of womanhood and motherhood. I don't know if it's, so your original question was, do you think it's ultimately bad? impact? Like, could it, like, what are the implications for the society at large? I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's ultimately just keeping us sort of stuck in this unproductive space of, wanting to believe that mothers can do it all and be it all and it all comes easily and naturally and I just think that is really harmful. So yeah, I think the more we lean into that, the less we're going to focus on what really needs to change and that's huge systems and huge power structures. Yeah, I think we've been focused on the beautiful mother with her beautiful children in her beautiful kitchen for long enough. And I I don't really see the need for it anymore. I don't see who it's helping. I don't see who it's uplifting. Yeah, so I guess that's my answer. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Have you seen a shift with the explosion of TikTok, right? Instagram content and TikTok content are very different. And so have you seen a big difference in your work with the TikTok content creators telling a different story, having a different narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think TikTok, I I spoke to Laura Danger about this. Do you know her? 
her work, Laura Danger? I know her work, yes. So I interviewed her for the book and she said she thinks TikTok is a lot easier for people who don't necessarily fit into that super specific box of femininity and motherhood to get their voices heard. And yeah, I think you're more likely to see people like Laura Danger, who talks about gender inequity within the home and unpaid labor. I think you're more likely to see her work thrive in places like TikTok because TikTok relies way less heavily on any veneer of perfection and it's way less imagistic. It's a lot more centered on, you know, the meat of what the people are saying. I also think of Casey Davis. She also is huge on TikTok. And Casey Davis and Laura Danger both have platforms on Instagram, certainly. But, you know, they started in TikTok. They're huge on TikTok. Yeah, Casey Davis is incredible. She talks about the moral neutrality of care work and sort of like understanding the difference between creating a beautiful bespoke laundry room and simply making sure that your kids have enough clean clothes to get through the week. She's incredible. So yeah, I I think there's more room for, I think TikTok feels more inclusive to me and gives more room for mothers that, you know, all different kinds of mothers from all different kinds of walks of life. I love makeup. It's the one thing that makes me feel put together. My hair can be a disaster and I could be wearing sweatpants and a hoodie, but I love having my makeup on. Everyone has their own thing, right? I recently started using Mommy Makeup, a brand specifically designed for busy moms like us. Their products are talc-free, paraben-free, and made in the USA. Using the Mommy Makeup system, you could have flawless makeup in six minutes. I use their Mommy's Little Helper Concealer, the Smudge Proof Anywhere Cream, Stay Put Gel Eyeliner, and Mascara. And of all of their amazing products, my favorite might be the Triple Sticks Lipstick and Cream Blush. These conditioning pencils are lipstick, cream blush, and treatment all in one, which is a huge time saver for me in the morning. Mommy Makeup even offers free color consultations, so you could find the best colors for you. Head over to mommymakeup.com and use my special promo code, MOMPROBS, to receive 20% off. That's M-O-M-P-R-O-B-S to get 20% off. Yeah. The interesting thing I see on Instagram is that it's really one narrative, more or less, right? We're telling the same narratives about laundry, about going to Target, about expensive, drinking expensive coffees, you know, and, and I can't say that I don't post about that kind of stuff myself on my account because I do because I'm, I'm part of, of that story, right? But I am self-aware Right. I actually don't go to Starbucks. I never go to Starbucks. I make all my coffee at home. So even if I ever joke about things, it's joking as like a caricature of that, but not me as Tara, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. But I I think that this like notion of the American motherhood narrative is really getting old. Do you find that it's sort of just getting like tired? Yeah. I mean, I, especially after surviving, you know, the pandemic and school shutdowns, I I don't know a single mother that hasn't been at least a little radicalized by, by the pandemic. And I think we have way more vocabulary to talk about these things than we did before. I don't remember when I was, you know, I had my first kid in 2012. I had never, Oh, wow. I had never thought of unpaid labor versus paid labor. I had never thought about these issues. I had never considered, you know, the crisis of paid leave before. 
in really serious ways anyway. And I had never thought about how mother's unpaid labor upholds our entire capitalist structure. And we saw that, you know, when everything shut down and mothers were expected to pick up all the pieces. So yeah, I think by and large, people are tired of this. And, you know, like, there's still a time and a place for scrolling through somebody's like gorgeous nursery. You know, like if I were to have another kid and I wanted, you know, nursery inspo, then Instagram is a great place for that. I think just like consciously asking yourself, what am I doing when I'm scrolling? What purpose is this serving me? Is it hurting or helping me? I think just those constant sort of check-ins are really valuable. Yeah. I, I, aim to be so self-aware when I'm on Instagram because you could find yourself down a rabbit hole and then you look up and it's like 20 minutes later and you're like, oh my God, I could have done so much with my time in 20 minutes. I mean, you you could have just laid on the floor and breathed. You know what I mean? Even that, like, yes, for sure. Yeah. And and so I think it's really important to also be self-aware of like when you're being sold to and when, you know, you're, you're hearing a particular narrative that may not necessarily agree with your values. And so th- there's a lot to go into that with, with social media. Now I want to talk about the book. Totally. So how did you start researching the book? So the first pe- the first big piece I wrote about this was for Harper's Bazaar. I think the headline was Momfluencer Culture Enrages Me, Why Can't I Look Away? I didn't write the headline, but it was something to that effect. And the first draft of it was like 20 pages long and it had to be like max three pages. And that's when I was just like, okay, there's like way more to say here. And I had interviewed a bunch of momfluencers for that piece so yeah, I just, I interviewed a ton of momfluencers. I interviewed a ton of consumers of momfluencer culture. I interviewed psychologists. I interviewed people specializing in social media. I interviewed technologists. Yeah. So I really started by reading as much as I possibly could about everything, you know, that, you know, all the various threads that sort of weave themselves together and yeah, talking to as many people as possible. And yeah, that was sort of my beginning process. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your favorite part of the book? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I came across Lauren Berlant. She's a literary theorist and critic, and she has this concept called cruel optimism, which an academic I had interviewed had introduced me to. And so I went down the rabbit hole with that. Cruel optimism is basically, it's essentially wanting to believe in a dream that isn't necessarily good for you. So it really encapsulated what I started out. My relationship to Momfluencer culture really started out that way. Mm. I would be consuming these beautiful lifestyles and beautiful performances of motherhood, I think largely because I wanted to believe that that was possible for me, even though, you know, as a feminist woman, as, you know, somebody who considers himself like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty cynical, even though I knew that like, <laughs> I was never going to be a goddess floating around in like white linen with my kids. I think there was a part of me that was like, if I just buy the right things, if I just have the right mantra, if I keep my countertops clean, I could maybe feel the way I think these people feel based on their photos. And so, yeah, there's a chapter in the book, it's the last chapter, sort of parsing the theory of cruel optimism and how it 
intersects with momfluencer culture. And that was really eye-opening for me personally to write. Yeah, that's so relatable. And I'm sure so many other people will raise their hand and be like, yes, me too. That's why I follow them. Yep. That's why, you know, I, I buy the things that they recommend. I, <laughs> you're going to laugh. A few days ago, I was at Target and I saw this like big floppy, like white hat, like an influencer hat. And it was on clearance and it was like $7. And I looked at my husband and I was like, should I buy this? And he was like, <laughs> I, I don't, he, he didn't care yeah, at all. I was just totally. like, okay, whatever. And so I bought it for $7 because I had a gift card from my mom for Christmas. And so I was like, oh, it's fine. It's free. <laughs> so I didn't care. And I put it on and I could not stop laughing. <laughs> I just laughed. I laughed for like 20 minutes, got in the car, laughed for another 30 minutes, <laughs> went to school, pick up wearing it, laughing the entire time. Like I must have looked absolutely mad because I was just laughing wearing this influencer hat and I thought to myself I'm like and I haven't worn it since it's sitting over there on the the shelf but I bought it almost like a gag gift for myself yeah because I thought the same thing if I wear this then I will look like an influencer (laughs) if I buy this if I have this in my possession if this is in my home therefore I am in the ranks with those women Mm mm-hmm and I know I will never be in the ranks with those women (laughs) yeah for me it was like I it's it's not like I was I wanted to, you know, have their followings or be an influencer. It was more that I wanted what I perceived they had in terms of maternal happiness, maternal calm, maternal control. That I think for me was what I thought I could get by buying like the right lipstick, which is obviously absurd, but I think that yeah, that longing to just be happier in my day-to-day role as a mother was like the catnip for me. Yeah. You know, for me, I grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. I had, um, my parents were divorced when I was two. And so I I lived with my mom and she worked a hundred hours a week for like 30 years. And she's an extraordinarily hard worker. So we didn't have a traditional household in that sense, right? Like I was more of like, the mom, you know, I joke like I kept the house clean. She went out to work. I, I cooked meals and stuff like that from a very young age. I was very independent, very young, and uh, I'm still very independent. So I didn't have a lot of money. Right? So all the the clothes I always had was like super like fast fashion, like cheap, you know, kind of like material and stuff like that. And so I always wanted to be able to dress like the cool girls. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, like God, there's yeah. a certain aesthetic and especially let's say what was this the early 2000s where they had like the cowboy boots with like the skinny jeans with the infinity scarves, like all of that yes. kind of stuff, yes. right? Yeah. And like I have a cousin who she's wealthy and she always had that look. She was the the quintessential look of what I was always striving for, but I just simply didn't have the money to be able to to pull off something like that. And so I sort of liken that to the influencers now Mm -hmm. is that for my whole life, I've always sort of been on the outside looking in Mm -hmm. to that. And, and I still feel like, you know, here I am 40 years later now, 40 years later, I actually straight up don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really don't care about most things now, but that when I think about it and when I think about influencer culture, it brings me back to remembering that being the girl in clothes from Mandy's. I don't know if you know what Mandy's is, but it's like this like cheap store. I don't even know how to describe it. Like this like cheap store. I'll use another example, like wet seal or something like that. You know, like, like I'm the girl like in, in the clothes from, from wet seal and other people are wearing clothes from J crew or Gucci or something Mm -hmm. like that. You know, always on the outside looking in and I've sort of, 
have always been like that. But like I said, after a time, you just get over it and you're like, right. I don't care anymore. <laughs> how, d- how dumb was that that I wasted my time for a second thinking about that kind of stuff? Yeah. But you can't help it. Oh, yeah, you know? we all do. Yeah. And and like I said, going back to, to the thing about social media is like, it's insidious. Yeah. You know, like you can't help but think be thinking about white interiors or the floppy hat with the boots just right and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's what you're consuming. I was fortunate enough when I was in college to study under a professor and his name was George Gerbner. And he is an incredible media critic and, and theorist. And he conceived of the idea mean world syndrome, mm. which said this, the more, and this was based on like research from the seventies and eighties, the more you watch the news, the yeah. nightly news, the more dangerous you think the world is. Yeah. And so George was the one, or Dr. Gerbner was the one who came up with that. And he was an incredible professor. And so obviously we, we studied that a lot in, in college. And but it's still true now for Instagram. You know, he nailed it back then in the 70s and 80s, but it is just as true now. It's like we are what we consume. Yep. Yep. Simple as that. Oh, right. 100%. And and so it is so challenging to try to buck the trends on that. But my question to you then, Sarah, is like, how do we buck the trend? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I want to highlight the point you made about your cousin, like when you were growing up, because that was one single person in your real life that you were comparing yourself to. And when we think about what we're subjected to now, it could be thousands of people that we are daily comparing ourselves to, whether or not it's conscious. We're just consuming so many other people's stories all the time that it's, I mean, there's no, it's, it's not surprising at all that we're stuck being like, okay, but what story do I want? And what story feels best to me? It's really, really challenging to figure that out when you're constantly being barraged by the noise of social media. So yeah, I guess what I have tried to do in my own life is, you know, we were talking about constantly asking ourselves those questions. Like, Am I going to the strawberry patch because it's bringing me joy or am I doing it because I think I need to post photo on social media to prove that I'm a quote unquote good mom. And also asking ourselves like, what are other ways to define quote unquote good motherhood for ourselves that don't rely on external validation? I think that's huge. Angela Garbus writes a lot about this in her book, Essential Labor, really trying to find empowerment through our our, our, our acts of caregiving that don't rely on an audience. I think that's huge to feel at the end of the day satisfied because, you know, you were there to soothe your toddler when he fell off his bike versus feeling good about yourself because you posted a photo of your toddler looking cute in like a patch of wildflowers. You know what I mean? Like two yeah. really different ways of making meaning for yourself. So yeah, I think just constantly trying to be self-aware about what you're consuming and why, what needs it's fulfilling and what it might be distracting you from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, many times it's distracting you from the actual act of caregiving. <laughs> which is like, which is fine. Like we all need a break sometimes. Yeah, And absolutely. if we want to just look at some pretty pictures for a while, that is fine. But doing so really clear headed, like, okay, I need entertainment right now. I want to look at some pretty white couches, but I'm not going to do so under the false belief that like these pretty couches make these people better mothers than me. You know, I I just feel like looking at some pretty houses right now. For me, I know that I'm a better mother when I put my phone away. 
I know that I am, and I'm not just saying like with my son there immediately next to me. Yes, that obviously sort of goes without saying. But if I put my phone away and I'm just Tara, not Tara, you know, social media girl, just Tara Clark, regular old Tara, I know that I know who I am. And it's really, for me, when I'm engaged in social media is when I lose myself. Mm. And that's where I forget where I am or who I am. And then it's caught up with like, oh, am I doing this right or that right or this? And and so when I put my phone away and I disconnect, then I can truly be, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say it because I hate it, but it's true. <laughs> then I could truly be my authentic self mm-hmm. is when I am not performative on social media. Because for me, everything else on social media is performative in nature. Right. And I think that's the most freeing thing. The other day, my, my husband and I, we're having a discussion about our son, and he was saying, I mean, without giving away too much information, he was saying that he sometimes, and I'm not, this is a harsh word, but it's like feels like a failure as a father in certain areas, but he never feels like that at work. Mm. And I said the exact other way around. I said, I never question how great a mother I am. I, I know I am a fantastic mother. I never for a second think that I'm failing at what I do. The same is not true for work. Mm. I constantly feel like a failure at work. And because I think that it's performative in nature. Mm. And so if I logged off, right, if I went away tomorrow and wasn't doing modern mom probs or anything like that, I know I would still be a kick-ass mother. From all of the things that I've learned through whether it's interviews or conversations with therapists or all of the, the body of work that I've done for seven years on modern mom probs has helped me to be a better mother, but it's also been very performative mm. or, or it can lead to be performative. Right. And that's why I don't put a lot of myself out there in my work. Yeah. You know, like you're hard pressed to find a picture right. of my son because you know what? I'm doing the work of parenting privately. Right. Right. You know, I'm having these conversations publicly, sure. but having the private conversations with my son and my husband and my family, you know, offline. And so I just think that that's interesting, you know, to have that sort of like dichotomy of your performative life and, and real authentic self life. Yeah. Because I mean, parenting is inherently private, you know, like the real acts of parenting, they never happen on screen. They always happen in private. So yeah, I think it makes total sense that you feel like a clear distinction between those two sides of yourself. Yeah, no, it it is. And I often think that when I do see, you know, people parenting on camera, you know, that happens every once in a while, like a a viral clip will will go off and like, it'll be like a parent, gentle parenting a child. Mm. And they're like, oh yeah, this is the way it was like, yeah, that's, I mean, in my house, like, yeah, that's like every day. <laughs> that's like, but I'm not, I'm not shooting it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not recording it. I'm not putting it out there because frankly, it's no one's business, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for, in my, in my life. So right. it's just, you know, yeah. it's an interesting thing. It's, it's a very loaded topic, I think, for a lot of people. And it is a true modern mom problem. And that's why I wanted to have you here today to talk about it. Yeah. 
So Sarah, yeah. tell everyone where we can find you, how we can get your book, all that kind of stuff. So you can buy Momfluenced anywhere that you buy books. And it comes out April 25th, but pre-orders are huge, huge, huge for authors. So if you want to pre-order it, that would be amazing. And you can find most of my work on my Substack, which is called In Pursuit of Clean Countertops, where I talk about Momfluencer culture sort of the cult of the ideal mother. And I also talk about ads that I'm getting on Instagram a lot. (laughs) And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at S Louise Peterson with an E. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.